welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. This is your host, Yavitsa Djurjevic. And uh, after a, a brief break with Adam over the last couple of weeks, I'm, I'm back to hosting. And today I've got a good friend of mine with me, RJ Clements. Um, RJ, give a, give a brief intro to the listeners of uh, who you are. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is RJ. I am uh, married to my wife, Sierra. Um, we live here in the nations. Um, I'm a financial advisor in Nashville. Uh, Joe and I actually work together. That's how we met. Um, I'm involved in a church uh, called My Local here in Nashville and uh, help lead that. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And part of the reason why, you know, we decided to do this podcast is this is going to be almost a two-parter in in a way where it's the theme is going to be really handling and dealing with depression, particularly as a young, young millennial male. And the first episode, which is today's episode, is going to come from the point of view of just an average dude who had some bad stuff happen to him and, and how he handled it. And then the second uh, part of this, I guess, series or theme, it's going to be at a later date, and I'm going to actually interview a a clinical psychologist in regards to um, depression and handling it from a from a clinical standpoint. So again, first episode is going to be from a personal, emotional, spiritual standpoint, and, and the actual real life example of an individual who battled through that. And then the second half is going to be again from a clinical standpoint. But to set the scene a little bit and to really talk about your story, you know, give us just a little bit of background. You can tell us a little bit about just your upbringing um, and some of the the major points in your life and and what really culminated in a family tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just give us a little bit of background from that. Yeah. So, uh, I grew up with, uh, both of my parents together, my dad, Ronnie and my mom, Kim and, uh, my brother, Austin. And, um, we had a great life, a good childhood. My dad was a physician, so he did very well for himself. Um, financially, he was also an amazing man of God and, um, led our family in that way. Um, I would say that we, Austin and I had a lot of fun as kids. My dad took us a lot of places. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, so she um, really took care of us. And um, we moved to Nashville um, when I was actually a a junior in high school. Um, We originally started in Birmingham, Alabama, but um, moved here um, when my dad got a new job. And uh, it was pretty hard for us as a family to uproot in the middle of high school. Um, but uh, I trusted my dad and um, he had led us here. So um, when we got here, I ended up meeting my wife, Sierra. Um, and then we went to uh, went to college. So I went back to Alabama. So I was away from home for a little bit. But uh, when I was a senior in college, we got some um, pretty rough news about my dad having cancer. And um, it actually, I just started my job as a financial advisor as an intern. And I was in a meeting and my dad called me and I was like, hey, it's an emergency. And so I stepped out of the meeting. And I remember having to leave like a, a financial meeting like halfway through and I remember being uh, pretty heartbroken about it. And um, so this spawned a ton of uh, events after that. Yeah. 
Well, and you, um, you mentioned a key phrase there was you trusted your dad. I mean, everything that I've gathered from you is, I mean, your dad was your best friend. Yeah. And uh, that level of trust and, and faith and in, you know, my dad always says it. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm going to roughly translate what he says in Serbian. So <laughs> bear with me. But um, uh, basically he says, you know, your kids look at you when you're a father, your kids look at you like your God. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Uh, would you describe, you know, your upbringing being kind of like that super Superman dad? Very, very much so. I mean, my dad was, I, I've, you know, I listened to your previous episode about your dad and I was drawing a ton of stuff from yeah, like, yeah, my dad was a lot like that, but like, um, stern, I guess, but at the same time loving yeah. and really just like his main focus was making sure that we grew up to be the men that we were supposed to be, my brother and I. Yeah, scary as hell, but still your best friend. Yeah, 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 definitely. And uh, he would give you this look where uh, it would be kind of like a side-eye thing, and you, you knew that like all hell is about to break loose <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you just don't do what you're doing. But uh, yeah, my dad uh, – and what's funny is I, I'm, I'm still this way, and you know this from just knowing me for a while now, but like uh, I've always been a rebellious kid. Like not yeah. to the point of like um, – deliberately disobeying my parents and being a heathen or anything like that. But honestly, just like I want everything to be done my own way. Yeah. And so me and my dad bucked head so bad, uh, like middle school and high school because <clears throat> like me and him are so the same. I'm very headstrong, very type a, very driven people. And I just like hate being told what to do. Yeah. So, it was a battle for who's the alpha male. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And, yeah. uh, what was funny is like we really didn't become best friends until I moved out of the house <laughs> because I could I couldn't be best friends with my boss which yeah, is what, yeah. what it felt like but then like I started it, it moved from a relationship of like just being my dad to being uh, my advisor to being like holy cow this dude's full of so much wisdom and then it's like oh he's like his interests are cool like I've never noticed any of this and yeah. like we ended up talking and having conversations that I would have never talked with him in middle school or high school about. So like it, it was a gradual transition. I think this is what most people feel like happens. It's like your parents are really great if you don't live with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, they're not the, they're not the authority figure anymore. Like you said, their job while you're growing up one, like when you're itty bitty, their job is to make sure that you don't die mm -hmm. because if they don't feed you and take care of you, you will die. Right. So then it transitions into, uh, you know, Hey, we have to socialize you for you to become like an acceptable human being. Right. So that means I've got to tell you what you can and can't do. Yeah. And then it evolves into, oh, you're going through this awkward puberty thing, which really sucks. So, yeah. I mean, you, you said how much it sucked to move in high school. Imagine if you had done that in middle school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it would not have been great. But yeah. So it, it was evolves. Cool. It was, I think one of my favorite parts about my upbringing was like my dad was so intentional. And I would say, never beat us over the head, but was so intentional about showing us the love of Christ and like really guiding us spiritually. So yeah. I, I think that's an, that's something that's not um, common these days. And yeah. like he showed me not, not only what it meant to be a man in earthly sense about like, you know, teaching me love football and all this kind of other things, but like literally um, teaching us the way of like, here's what a Christian man looks like. Mm -hmm. And so was guiding us through that. And I didn't own that until really about college where I was like, that's, this is my own, this is what I believe. Yeah. And my dad would guide us through like, 
here's what I believe. You're welcome to believe what you believe, but like, here's how like the biblical study of that. Yeah. It was, um, so yeah, he was like a, a best friend uh, or sorry, a boss before he was a best friend. And then he was like a spiritual leader all at the same time. Interesting. So, you know, we keep, I mean, there's context clues in the conversation, but we, we are talking about it in the past tense. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, and I don't know the the full story of his, you know, illness and the cancer and everything, but he, he did pass away a couple of years ago. That's right. Um, it, it was from the cancer, right? That's right. Yeah. So he, ne- he never, it's not like the cancer went away and then, or did it go away for so a while? So what was crazy is, so like I said, it was like, I think it was my junior or senior year. Uh, yeah. It was my, uh, senior year of, of college. He calls me, he's like, Hey, they found type one cancer or stage one cancer. Um, you know, it's a good thing we caught it this early. Um, they're going to operate and we're going to do some chemo and we should be good. Um, I mean, he was optimistic the whole time about it. Yeah. And he was a physician. So he had, I mean, I I don't think he didn't work in, in that. No, he wasn't in oncology. He was, uh, in bariatric surgery, but like you're, you, you practice as a general surgeon for a while. So like, you know, enough that, and like you, you study it in medical school and all that. So yeah, he was well aware of like statistics you know, medical chances, all that kind of stuff. So, so, so what, I mean, what caused him to, to go, you know, downward from a, from a health standpoint? Is it, was it just, was it just more advanced than they thought? So they, so he was actually cancer free for like 13 months. Oh, wow. So he beat cancer the first time scan showed no more cancer. Then all of a sudden we go back in and there's like, it was in a different spot, which mm. to explain like how cancer works is like, if it's localized, it's a good thing. Like okay. if there's one spot, which it was on it, near his kidney, um, that's like a, that's a good thing. If you only find a scan, it's one place. That's good. But what called it, it metastasizes. So that means it spreads, which means it, like the spread is starting and you can't stop. It's mm. or The chances are very, very slim to stop. Metastasized cancer, which is like stage four. Yeah. So they found stage four cancer about 13 months later. And that was just like, that was devastating. Cause you, you ride this, like you, you, you hit this thing of like, Oh man, my dad might die. And it's like, Oh, well it's only stage one. Oh, he's doing well in treatment. And Oh, chemo is really hard, which if you've ever had to go through a family member that has that. It's very hard. They, they like it zaps all bit of energy. Um, and it just makes him feel horrible. But then he like, they are, the scans are showing, oh, he's getting cancer free. Their operation went well. And it's like, oh, hey, he's in remission, which yeah. is like, that, that's a good word for like, it's, uh, we think that it's gone. Yeah. And when you're riding that for like 12 months, 12 or 13 months, it's like, oh my gosh, like my dad's here. Like, I don't have to worry about it. And then it's like the, you went from really sad to happy to now like even more devastated. Yeah. Because stage four cancer is like a 10% survival rate. So this is 2016? Uh, so he, yeah, so this is, uh, it started, uh, the metastasized cancer was like late 2015, early 2016. Okay. So, and then I'm trying to go off of memory here, but he did pass away in, in 2016. 2017. January 2017. Okay. Okay. Because I knew it was sometime around December or Christmas time where like it was yeah. getting bad. It's almost been two years, so like a year and a half. Okay. So so talk to me about that. Talk to me about it's January of 2017. You know, the I thankfully I haven't had either one of my parents pass away. I, I have had 
you know, for example, my best friend's dad passed away when we were 19 mm-hmm. and, you know, he shared his story on, on the podcast, but people have described it to me as a, it doesn't seem real mm-hmm. at first. I've had, a, I've had one of my best friends pass away and it still doesn't seem real in a lot of ways, but yeah. talk to me about what's going, what's going on at that moment. So I think the hardest points of cancer is actually before death. Okay. Um, because you're seeing, um, you know, we talked about him being my best friend and my spiritual leader going through what it feels like to die. Yeah. Because with cancer and with the diagnosis of that, uh, gravity is, um, they know that they're going to die within like a year and a half. Yeah. And so they have to live with the fact that they, it's kind of like if I was to tell you, Hey, you're going to die in a year and a half and you're completely healthy and you don't know why. Yeah. And so the good thing about cancer is that you get to spend time with your family before your death. And you know, like my time is short. I need to make the most of it. But then you watch how like, let's disregard like the body issues right now. Let's talk about the mind real quick. Is that like, my dad went from like all hope and all faith that like God was going to heal him and that medicine could heal him and that the doctors are going to take care of him, even though his chances are, Low. you know, one yeah. in 10. So, um, he went from that to like a, uh, apathetic to like depression of like my life's coming to an end, Wow, which is incredibly difficult to watch the man that you know, that has all this faith that was leading your family that is your best. I mean, best friend is a, a whole thing, but like the man that you, the patriarch. Yeah, yeah. Like the man that you based your whole manhood off of is crumbling. Yeah. And like, and I'm not, I don't blame him for that. I mean, like I couldn't even imagine watching like the pain that it causes your kids and pain, that especially caused your wife. So, but yeah, man, like the, the body issues was hard for us. Like the mind was difficult for him. And all of that, but like he, so we realized that November of 2016, and this is a fact or a side fact is that Sierra and I haven't been married for like six months at this point. Yeah. Like so we got so married we, in May 2015 or 2016. So life just kicks you in the face. Yes. So um, we have to move in with my mom and dad because my mom can't take care of, of my dad by herself because she's only like 110 pounds and, trying to lift my dad and doing all the stuff because what happens is like certain treatments and um, medications leave either neuropathy, which is like where you can't feel your hands and your feet and you can't move well. And then like the pain meds, man, are crazy. Like yeah. make you hallucinate, like all these crazy stuff. Yeah. And so we just really, to make you function somewhat. Well, yeah, make you not like because the way that cancer works is it makes these huge tumors on your body, which pinches your nerves, and like mm. you can't sit well, you can't sleep well. Um, you know, your your body just hurts all the time, and so you have to have like pain meds just to get through the day. So they ended up like putting an IV into like his side to like yeah. constantly drip, like a morphine drip. But November, literally on Thanksgiving, Sierra and I decided we're going to move in with mom and dad because it's like getting pretty bad. Like my dad went from weighing about 195 pounds to at Thanksgiving about 130. So he lost like 60 pounds in a year. Wow. And um, like I was looking back at photos and the photo actually makes me really sad because 
it's like Thanksgiving where we're like trying to have this happy time. My dad's like forcing a smile. And so we move in with him and like, I become like, I'm not expecting my wife of six months to like lift my dad. Yeah. So I'm up just about every two hours, if not every hour during the night while trying to build a financial practice. Cause this is my year. I've been a full-time financial advisor for a year and a half now. Yeah. So I'm building financial practice, being a husband, being a caretaker, and then like trying to do all that at once. So like what happened was, is that there were some moments that I can talk about now, but like I literally was like not pretending it happened. Like I had to, one time my mom starts screaming at 4 a.m. Like, RJ, come on, come in here, come in here. And my dad was tripping. Like, he's like, she's trying to kill me and like mm. all this kind of stuff. Cause like the From pain the medication. Meds, yeah, the pain meds were freaking him out. It's like, she's trying to kill me and take my life insurance money and like all this kind <laughs> of stuff. And like, dad, I, and she's like, please tell him I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> and I'm like, she's not, dad. What are you talking about? And I'm, I'm laughing about it, but just to avoid from crying because it was so crazy. Like, yeah. it was crazy. And then I remember, like, I had to hold him while we took a shower, like, hold him while he was able to, like, shower off. And, like, I mean, I remember this one time he was in so much pain from me trying to lift him from a wheelchair. He, like, bit into my shoulder. And, like, I just remember thinking, like, that pain hurts. But, like, the pain of, like, my dad is literally only trying, like, almost like, you know, like how you – you see in movies where they make you bite a rope while you're yeah. taking a bullet out. Like that's like the pain that he had. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, I was like, if I let myself feel any of this, I will not be able to be my dad's caretaker. Yeah. Like if you, if you try and process it in the moment, which this is the unhealthy part. So we'll get into that. But the unhealthy part of it was that like I bottled it up into a jar and I just like threw it. I was like, I'm not dealing with this right now. Yeah. If I dealt with it, I couldn't have done what I was doing. Yeah. Because the pressure of this job, which you know about, yep. is intense. Yep. Uh, the pressure of being a husband, which you're figuring out now, is intense. Got to fold those towels the right way. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, and then the pressure of being a caretaker is like one of the hardest. That's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Like, yeah. And so if I was to feel all of that. It would have crumbled you. Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to do any of it. Yeah. So my defense mechanism was like stuff it yeah. and like in a jar, seal it and throw it. Yeah. Well, and that's, man. The, so for the folks listening, I know a rough outline of this story, but I'm like being moved to tears as I'm listening to you describe this. Um, it, it's, one hell of a story and it's one hell of an experience and it's it's in a weird poetic way it's almost beautiful because it's the circle of life yeah you know you were crapping your pants and dad was changing your diapers at one point when yeah. you were born and and all the way to obviously i wish your dad hadn't died in the way he had but you hold them up while he's trying to take a shower yeah you know it's it's we can get into philosophical conversations later that's not the point of the podcast but yeah. that that it is this you know circle of life concept. So let's talk about the bottle. You're stuffing all this into the bottle. So again, building a financial practice, which sucks so much. I mean, it's unbearably miserable. Uh, anybody out there who thinks about getting into the financial services world, starting a practice from scratch, don't. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it's one. Not great. At yeah. The beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> getting, getting, uh, getting married is incredibly tough because you're trying to make two lives one. 
Yeah. And no matter how much you love the person, it's, you know, my wife says all the time, she says, you know, there's just, you just do so many things just a little bit wrong. Yeah. Just a little bit wrong. And I'm looking at her like, you just spent $400 on dresses. Don't talk to me about a little bit wrong. Um, and, and then obviously, you know, your, your dad passing away, you're bottling all this up. Talk about that bottle. Okay. okay. So let's, let's fast forward. He's passed away. Uh, it's January. Anybody who's ever been to Nashville in January, you haven't seen the sun in like four months. Yeah. Okay. It's just gloomy, rainy. Yeah. It's sun comes up at eight in the morning and goes down at four 30. Cause yeah. we're in the freaking central time zone for some reason. Yes. Uh, which makes no sense. Um, talk about the depression, talk about the, the bottle that you've, you filled up at that point. Yeah. So the bottle is getting really big at this point because like now I'm taking on like when my dad's not here at all is like my brother is looking to me instantly because he's two years younger than me. I was going to ask. So he's your younger, yeah, younger brother. Yeah. So he's my younger brother. So I'm taking on now this, like I'm now the patriarch. Yeah. And then I guess another part to the bottle is that my mom's expecting me to take care of her finances now. Yeah. Which is scary as hell. Yeah. So, cause like, I feel for some reason, like if, if another grieving widow that I don't know came and I could just like take care of, I'm like, yeah, that's easy. But like when it's your own mom, it's like an, an extra. It's cause the emotional aspect. Yeah. It's an extra level of like responsibility. Well, and that's what we sell to people is we are not emotionally invested in your situation. We can look at it from a objective viewpoint. Yeah. I, I can't do that with my mom. No. Yeah. I was like half the meetings we had was like, I was in tears because she's sitting here crying. It's like, uh, I just feel so like unnerved and like, I can't focus and I can't do anything. And so that, that was like crippling and upset, but yeah, but now I'm taking on the, like, I'm taking care of her. I'm taking care of my brother and I'm taking care of my wife and I can't figure out my priorities now because it's all stuffed in the same bottle. Because if I feel one, I have to feel the whole thing. Yeah. So I, I did like a ton of avoiding. Cause like I was fine. Like hmm. I had, you, you numb yourself so much. Like you, like you can literally, like the brain is a funny thing. Like you can literally numb anything you want to. And like the brain has a really good job of like suppress, uh, suppressing like all the really crappy things in your life. It's very malleable. Yeah. That yeah. yeah. And like, you can just say, I'm not feeling that. I don't feel anything. Like yeah. I didn't cry but like three times the entire time between like November and February. Yeah. That's like five months of the hardest point in my life. And I cried three times. And like one was when the night he passed away. One was when we were meeting with my mom and one was when like my dad bit me. That was like the only three times I ever cried. And that's not healthy because it's like a crying is like a, a physical response to an emotional relief. Yeah. And I wasn't relieving anything. Yeah. You were just, so I didn't even touch that bottle till like May, like, because I had to go back to work. Yep. I, I, I we moved out. I didn't have any money Yeah, because <laughs> I was, I, I was working like 30, 40 hours a week and I wasn't sleeping. And then like by December, I couldn't do anything because my dad needed full time care. And so by February, I had to go back to work. And I didn't have time to feel anything because then I have to go back to work in however many hours we're working. And then I touched, like I, I realized that we went on a trip with my mom in March to like go and just like get away from it all. And I remember coming back and I was like, I feel empty. 
Yeah. And I feel so numb. Like we went to Cancun and we had a, a great time, but I remember thinking like every 30 seconds that I was left alone, I was like, imagine like just no pain, but no happiness, no joy and no sadness. And it was just, I mean, it's awful. Like it just, it, that's the the worst pain. Like the whole idea, I never understood like cutting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I literally couldn't feel anything. My wife would talk to me and I'd like would zone out. Um, and it was just like, everything was a mess, yeah. but nothing was a mess. It's really odd about the whole numbing thing. Yeah. My, my wife and my wife and I have talked about this when my buddy passed away a couple of years ago. And, um, obviously this is very different because it's, it's not my dad, but you know, young guy, 27 years old, died in a car wreck. And her and I both talked about it. I think it was maybe a month and a half after his funeral. Mm-hmm. And we both just looked at each other and said, it's like this damn cloud is over us. Yeah. And it's, it's, you're just constantly, almost just constantly sad, but not, not sad in like a boohoo way, but like just sad, like meh. Yeah. And both of us said, you know, I don't think either one of us has ever, I mean, at least I can speak for myself, experienced real depression. But in that moment, both of us said, I think that's what depression is like just always. Yeah. I mean, imagine going to um, like a child's birth, like your, let's say it's your niece. I don't know, I don't know if you, you probably don't have a niece, but let's but just nephews. say, okay, so nephew. So let's say you're going nephews, to your, but your, they're older. <laughs> you go, you go to your nephew's birth and everyone's ecstatic. Yeah. And then you're like, you're smiling, which you can't see him smiling, but you're like, you're smiling. And then like the second you walk out of the room, it's just like, I don't feel anything. Yeah. Like the, like most people's like pure joy lasts Nothing. for 10 seconds. Hmm. And then you're back to either total and complete sadness or like just numb. And so what happens is you're in this place of sadness all the time that the amazing things in life, if you can imagine like a curve on a graph, you're so low that even the best things in life just bring you back up to normal for a minute. Mm. There's nothing that peaks like actual happiness and joy. Interesting. So how does, how did that impact your relationships with your friends, your wife, your mom? Uh, I mean, I think that it was hardest on me and Sierra because, you know, she lost, I mean, my dad, I mean, she would probably say this. My dad was like a, a father figure to her in some ways um, as my father, my father-in-law was going and her dad going through a divorce around the same time, a couple years before that. And there was a lot of issues there. And so my, my wife had cleaned to my dad yeah. in a lot of the same ways that I did. So I didn't give her a chance to grieve to me. Mm. Like, cause I was like, I'm in too much pain. I can't take anyone else's pain. Yeah. And I, for some reason, and I'm like, this is one of my biggest regrets in life is I put my mom and my brother over my wife for a while Mm. because I just felt like that that was my duty to them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that that was, that really hurt Sierra because we couldn't talk about it because and I kept telling her, I can't talk about it. I can't talk about it. I can't yeah. talk about it because I didn't want to open that jar and like feel anything. Yeah. 
because if I did, I would be a blubbering mess, which I eventually was. Yeah, yeah, it, it came crumbling down anyway. Yeah. Okay, so you know, father passes away, filling up the jar. Hardest impact on you and your wife. How on earth do you get out of that? Because it just sounds like it's, I mean, the compound effect works positive and negative. Yeah. Okay. Earning interest is great. Paying interest sucks. Yeah. Um, and you're paying a lot of interest right now in the story. So, so yeah. what do you do? How do you dig yourself out? I mean, it's not just, I don't care what your answer is to anybody. It's not like you just get out of it overnight. And there's probably people listening to this who are going through this right now. So it's a step-by-step process, but what was that step-by-step process? Yeah. So, you know, I was telling you about a show earlier when we were grabbing dinner was Maniac and they talk about uh, a actual process through, um, through different problems that they have. Small plug for Maniac. It's a good show. Um, <laughs> if they want to pay us, we'll, we'll plug yeah, them all the time. We'll be happy to advertise for them. Yeah. Um, hope you're listening to Netflix. Um, but the ABC, it, they go through a, a process called it. It's the ABC basically. And it's acknowledgement, blind spots and confrontation. Okay. And like, this is what I was telling you is like, I, I really feel like that taught me something like of a process that I went through, but couldn't put like words to it. Yeah. And what happens is you have to acknowledge the worst point of your life, like okay. the hardest day of your life. So you have to relive it. Like you have to open the jar, let it come out. And feel it again. If you are avoiding your feelings, you're not progressing through grief. Yeah. You're not going to come to terms with them. Yeah. Because what happened was there's, there's a, I mean, grief is a physical and emotional, a spiritual and a, like a mind like response. Mm-hmm. And what my, what happened was my mom, my brother and my wife had all started their grieving process basically in the summer before my dad died. Mm. because they're like, he's probably not going to make it. Um, I want to make sure that like they, they started the grieving process. What I did is I not, didn't allow myself to grieve until, you know, like May. Yeah. And so I started to feel things. Mm. And when you feel it, it is awful. Yeah. Like I remember May being like um, one of the hardest May and June were like one of the hardest months of my life because I'm taking all this and I feel it now. And the weight of it, and I, like I couldn't move. Like I literally would sleep probably twelve hour, twelve to fourteen hours a day, because it's like an avoiding mm. of of the pain. And so you have to acknowledge it, and you have to feel it, and you have to take your time. Mm. Like the biggest thing is people will try to tell you, like, "Hey, you got to get moving, and you got to just go do stuff." Yeah, that's so, like that's like B and C. Right yeah. there, you you have to just be able to sit and feel whatever you're going through, and get out of bed. I mean that, like you said, the avoidance component of that, just locking yourself away and almost pretending like, you know, as long as I stay in bed and I hide away from the world, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I would really say like that's a good point of like you don't necessarily need to go get busy. Yeah, but you need to go have reflection. Yeah, like you need to go. And like what I would do now, if something like that happened, is like, I need to go to the mountains and I need to just like, look at like stuff, something that's beautiful. Yeah. And like, just feel sad, feel happy, feel beauty again, but you have to feel. Yeah. 
And then the B was like for blind spots. And that's saying like the stuff that you you realize that like the hardest points of your day and you can't get over is like what you didn't realize you couldn't get over. Mm. Like the, the small things like, or maybe not even the small things, but things you just didn't notice at first, which was like um, the feeling of um, I'm now becoming a man and I'm stressed about becoming a man. Like I'm having to grow up all at the same time of while taking care of my dad, I'm now the man and he's not. And he had to give that to me and watching him give that to me was just as hard as receiving it. I can, uh, I can relate to that in another way. If if you don't mind, just the brief story that really made me think of it. Growing up, my dad and I would always arm wrestle and it was my dream in my life. I mean, as a little kid, so I don't know if you ever seen a picture on my on my Instagram, my dad when I was a baby, but he's like just super jacked. Yes, like that, and that full head of hair that you yeah, had. just beautiful, beautiful locks, <laughs> which I inherited. But uh, if there's one thing I'm proud of, it's my hair. But um, so as a kid, I would always arm wrestle with him, and he would just like. I mean, he would, no mercy. He would just dominate. No, he would just dominate me. And, (laughs) and all throughout high school, I still couldn't, you know, he's got that farm boy strength. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I will never forget this. It was, uh, winter break, freshman year of college. I came home. I had just gotten home, drove six hours from Knoxville to Memphis. And I look at my dad and I'm basically like, you down? He was like, I will kick your ass right now. So we go, we go into the, into the dining room and we sit down at our table and it is a battle. I mean, it's not a, not one way or the other. No, it is a, he wins barely, but I'm, I don't know. I might've been able to beat him if I hadn't just spent six hours in the car. I don't know. It was, I mean, it was, we were going at it. It was, there was a lot of pride involved. And he looked at me and said, you're getting close. Next time you'll probably win. And I have never asked him to arm wrestle since. Yeah. The thought of beating my dad in arm wrestling, which I know intellectually, I know for a fact today I would win. Yeah. I can't bring myself to do that. Right. And it's so crazy because it's something I looked forward to my entire life from like the earliest age. And when I finally got to the point where I was getting really close I said, I'm not willing, I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to cross that boundary. Yeah. Like I'm not, I, I, my dad in my eyes is going to be undefeated in arm wrestling for the rest of my life. <laughs> when it comes to that, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to, I'm yeah. going to beat him. So well, that same thing happened to me, but on like a, I, I mean, that would, I, I think the pride is, is there very much so, but like the same thing happened to me is like my dad had to give ownership of his family to you, to me. Yeah. And there's an avoidance behavior there because like my whole life, you know, I'm the rebel, like uh, I'll do anything. I can handle anything. Yeah. Um, And I'm like, I can be my own man and like all this kind of stuff. And then right right when the point where it's like, all right, you're your own man, you're going to have your own business, your own wife and your own. Now you're going to be the leader of a family um, that once you didn't have, you were a follower in was this incredibly heavy burden of being a leader and being a man now. Yeah. So I went from being in college to being a total kid to being a full fledged man, actually dealing with like man problems. Yeah. 
in a year and a half or less. Yeah. Which, yeah, that's the that's the crazy part. But when you contextualize like 100 years ago, I don't know, your dad might have died from a black lung and all of a sudden you got to be a man. Yeah. You know, it's like- yeah. And, and I think that the, 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 we arm wrestled, if you will, yeah. for yeah. a whole year. Like, yeah. He had to, it was a gradual process. So there was some, there's some beauty in that, that he has time to give it to me. Yeah. And I'm not just having to take over all at once, but there's like a lot of pain in seeing someone gradually lose to you in arm wrestling. Yeah. And so like, that was a huge blind spot for me. So like Mm. you have to feel it, you have to acknowledge your blind spots and you have to confront everything. Yeah. So you can't just stay in those two places because if you, and this is, not it won't spoil anything for the show, but like some people will just loathe or and just be a sloth and like just feel the pain and they can't move on. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of like they're stuck in a cycle. Emma Stone's character, she just like wants to feel the worst day of her life and keep feeling it because it's like that's the memory of her sister. Yeah, and so the same way, like I couldn't just stay here and revel in like the worst part, and I have to acknowledge areas that I am didn't know were a big deal to me, Mm -hmm. but then you have to confront them and say, Hey, I've got to say like goodbye to my dad. Yeah. And I have to move on or I will not be able to function, but I have to acknowledge like, I'm not a kid anymore. Yeah. Like there's, I can't be the same person I was 18 months ago. Yeah. It's time to grow up. Yeah. And so you have to make steps towards like, okay, I'm going to own this. And you will fail. Like, hear this from me, guys, is like, there are going to be times when you're like, I'm going to take this on and you slip back into Mm. depression. Yeah. And then you get stressed out and you're like, okay, I'm going to try again. I'm going to do it again. You try to pull uh, yourself up by your bootstraps and you, that happens. And for a little while you can take it and then you can't and you're back again. And it's just like, you will have this cycle for a while. That's part of grief. Like the biggest thing is that, I don't believe time heals all wounds, but time helps a lot. Like, but you have to actually try in that. Like you can't just say it time will heal. And um, we don't have to worry about that, but no, it's like you have to actively work against that. And it's an actively. And like today, this is um, about 20 months after my dad's death, 21 months after my dad's death. And like to this day, it's a constant battle. And I, I honestly feel like I wasn't healthy until about February of this year. Hmm. Like it just, it honestly takes about 10 to 12 months of fighting to really feel like that you're even close to normal. Yeah. And like, even to this day, like I'm saying, I was like, I'm never going to be a hundred percent of what I was at that point. Your life's just going to look differently. Yeah. And so don't feel bad if you always feel that. Yeah, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. It's part of life. Yeah. And well, I think part of the hard aspect is, you know, he went before his time. It's right. not like he was 85 and you were 50. Yeah. He was like 52. Yeah. Um, let's talk about professional help. Did you go go to any psychiatrist, any counselors, any uh, medical help, anything like that? Yeah. So, uh, and by the way, the ABC thing, I'm not a psychologist. Yeah. Anybody, anybody could tell me that's wrong. Yeah. But uh, I think that from what I was, I, I did get a lot of counseling. I went to several different pastors. I had uh, a lot of mentors in my life, which you've talked a lot about yeah. is older men telling you like, 
because most most people don't have a father pass away when they're in their twenties. Yeah, it's usually in their thirties, forties, fifties, or sixties even. Of because both of my grandparents survived my dad. Oh wow! So and then um, so that's a whole other story. But like that, you have to have men who can teach you how to become a man quicker. Yeah, and tell you like the Spark Notes version. Yeah. Because they they've had the whole time to read the novel, you have to have the Spark Notes version, like you said. So, um, mentors was a big thing. Counseling was a big thing. Like finding pastoral help. Mm-hmm. Like go through your church. There's a ton that I learned about my spirituality, about my heavenly Father through my pastors. That if I would have just gone to the science route, would have totally missed. Yeah. But there is so much to learn about the brain via science. Oh yeah, there's the like you said the scientific aspect. There's the philosophical and theological aspect. There's you know I hate when people talk about you know science and religion can't coexist. They're not trying to answer the same question. Yeah. Stop stop trying to pose a question to a scientist about theology. That's not what they're an expert in. Well, what happens is you find that, and I think that's true, but I think that they oftentimes point fingers at each other, like in a good way, like yeah. they point you back to like like science will go to this point where like hey you know there might be another like spiritual level. Yeah, yeah. And then spiritual, spiritual level comes like, well, here's how your body interacts with your spirit. Yeah. And they end up overlaying so much. And so, yeah, I went to, um, I went to a counselor, um, for about three, four months. And, um, was that a hard pill to swallow from a pride standpoint? No, I think that, um, I think I had enough pride. I yeah. was like overdosed with pride yeah. for a while just because like I, I'm, I'm okay admitting I'm not good enough Yeah, because it's, it was so much of like, I, my dad was like, you're going to take care of, you have to take care of your mom. You have to take care of your brother, but always put your wife first. Hmm. And so he kept telling me that. And so like, I felt the uh, obligatory response of like, I had to, you know, suck up and be a man. So no, and I think that the people that feel ashamed of going and um, going and getting help um, is, and I don't want to over spiritualize this, so excuse me for this, but like I feel like that that that's the devil's way of keeping you in depression. Yeah, and it's maybe even like a an avoidance mentality of like. Um, I like the way the sadness feels because for a while this is kind of messed up um, is like, I had such a good childhood that I never really felt sadness. Mm, That's interesting. Like true sadness. Yeah. And so like part of it was like this, like coffee kind of deal, like bittersweet, like new flavor. And like, it felt oddly good at some points in time. Your body found like a new homeostasis. Yeah. Like some of that feels so good to be like, um, like in a cloud, like the, the essence of it, the sadness felt good somehow. And so hmm. some people just don't want to get out of that or are scared to feel like, Hey, what does responsibility feel like again? Yeah. Cause like part of depression is like you avoid everything. Yeah. There is no responsibility. You're yeah. in your own bubble. Yeah. You're cause that cloud is all that, you know, huh? That's interesting. I never and thought so, about that. Um, stepping out of that cloud again, provides not only a little anxiety, but a little, and it requires a ton of effort. Huh. So, but like the science part, we're going back to that is like therapists will tell you like, it is a biological response that of grief or sorry, grief is a biological response when you lose someone. 
Mm. Like you're, I was, I would have problems. Um, I would get these really weird chest pains and like you, I would find myself like having shortness of breath and like, but I'm not stressed. Like I, I didn't think that I was stressed, mm. but then like knowing that like that's normal and I'm not a weirdo that I like, I can't function in certain situations is incredibly helpful. And I, I don't know why I, I think, okay. So, so if I can insert this is that what I believe being a man is, is it is goes back to Mufasa mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. and Lion King. All right. I think it's one of the best man quotes of all time is when he's, I've never seen Lion King in English, only in German. So you don't have to. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. You need to go back and watch it, but there's a line <laughs> that he tells Simba. He's like, uh, he says something to the effect. I might be paraphrasing, but he says, dad, how are you always so brave? And he's like, are you not scared? And he's like, son, that's the only time you get to be brave. Ooh. Okay. And so like, it sounded a lot angrier in German. Yeah. (laughs) Everything does. I'm sure. But yeah. So it's like the idea of this mentality where I'm just not going to do anything. Cause that's kind of what I did for a while. Yeah. And it will destroy you. Like if you can just admit that you're not good enough to take on this stuff by your own, is the quickest way to recovery. Hmm. That's awesome. And anyone that says that they are big enough will find the end of their rope eventually. Yeah. Because I did. Wow. Well, that's a lot to digest. Um, It's probably one of the heavier episodes, partially because I actually know you on a personal level. Mm -hmm. So there's a previous relationship there and, you know, we're sitting in your living room and just ate some hot chicken, which is like the most. So we're in a gentrified neighborhood in a house <laughs> uh, after eating hot chicken. It's the most like Nashville thing we could possibly do. <laughs> um, but we're running up on time. But but the way I'd like to end this conversation for now is, look, you go back to 18-year-old RJ, mm-hmm. knowing all that you know now, knowing all that you know about yourself. What would you go back and tell 18-year-old RJ? Wow. Um Man, that's a, a hard one. I'll tell him to cut his hair. Did he have a douchey uh, frat suit? He did. He wow. did. Yes. Um, or keep it, or make it grow longer. I don't know. Like go like all out or or cut it. I had the bangs going on too. It's all right. Bro. Mine were just curly. <laughs> um, oh man, I don't. I don't even know. Uh, I think that I would tell him like buckle up. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that there's, and I, and I think it's like. I would tell him not to avoid problems. Like, Ooh, yeah, that's good. Like, uh, and I can't figure out if this was a good thing or a bad thing. Like I said, I don't think that I would have been able to get through that time if I didn't bottle up some of my emotions. Yeah. Like, I think I've honestly would have crumbled, but I think that my parents and my wife and uh, my brother would have been able to help more, mm. but I took too much on myself that ended up like really hurting me. The patriarchal role. Yeah. And like most of the time that's not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that, but like also telling him like, you're going to have to grow up and maybe growing up a little sooner will save you some pain. Yeah. Mm. So I think that I would tell him like, you know, things we talked about, don't avoid things, realize the things that are actually hurting you and confront them instead of running from them. Wow. Well, on that note, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, that's, I'm glad that was, I got to. It's pretty cool. I mean, 
quite a few people are going to hear this. And, and we talked about this at dinner. If one person who's going through a tough time gets one thing out of this, um, you know, it's worth it. It's worth it working. And then after work, going in, sitting down and having a conversation instead of relaxing for a little bit and, and bringing up all these emotions. So yeah. to everybody out there listening, uh, hope, uh, like I said, I hope you got something out of this. If you want to get in touch with us, Millennial Manhood, see it. Millennial Manhood CIP at gmail.com. As many times as I've said this, you think I'd know it by now. Also, <laughs> share the podcast, share the podcast, share the podcast. Makes life a lot easier for all of us. And uh, yeah, you guys enjoy. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.